line in your bulletin if you'll go ahead and get that. We are in a series on values that build lasting success. And today we're going to be talking about balance. Finding balance in our lives. And so I would like to begin with a workaholic survey. If you answer yes to most of these, you are probably overworking. Are you always in a hurry? Is your to-do list always unrealistically long? You have one of these lists that if there were 50 hours in the day, you wouldn't get it done. Do you use your days off to catch up with unfinished work? Has more than one person told you to slow down? Do you feel guilty when you relax? Do you have to get sick in order to take time off? (laughs) I can see y'all are smiling, y'all are thinking, yeah, this lesson's gonna hit home today. Here's another one. You might be a workaholic if. You might be a workaholic if all of your Christmas cards come from business associates. You might be a workaholic if You head out for back-to-school night, but have no idea which school your children go to. You might be a workaholic if you have your cell phone on vibrate right now. You might be a workaholic if your family refers to you as occupant. You might be a workaholic if immediately after work you unwind by watching Nightline. And here's a big one. You might be, you just might be a workaholic if you take business-related reading material into the bathroom with you. Now, according to a CNN poll... 69% of the people they surveyed said that they would like to slow down and, and relax more. And according to a Harris poll, they, I think, surveyed or called 800 people. I guess this is supposed to be a cross section of America. But Americans are spending eight and a half hours less per week in leisure than 20 years ago. You know what's scary about this? Is that 20 years ago in the 1980s we thought we were overworking. So apparently we were working less then than we are now. Today, we're going to be talking about finding balance in our lives. No one has ever lived a perfectly balanced life except for Jesus. And so we're going to be taking a look at some biblical principles on balance. Everything in the physical world as we know it is built on the principle of balance. Our earth is on a 23 degree axis and it rotates constantly, but we don't feel any vibrations. We aren't, aren't shaking and that's because the earth <clears throat> is perfectly balanced. Right now, we are moving at just under 2,500 miles an hour. 
And every 24 hours we travel just under 25,000 miles, yet everything is in balance. Balance in nature is referred to as the ecosystem. We all know that God has set up a system of checks and balances in nature. Architecture is based on the principle of balancing the stress load. And bridges, although they are usually very beautiful, are built on the principle of balance. Bridges aren't really built for aesthetic value necessarily. It's just it's the principles of balance that creates the symmetry, such as with the Golden Gate Bridge, that makes it so pleasing to the eye. Your body is built on the principle of balance. We all have how many systems? Seven or eight different systems. We have a circulatory system, a respiratory system, a, a skeletal system, a nervous system, a digestive system, a respiratory system. And when all of these systems are in balance, we refer to it as health. When one or more system gets out of balance, we call it dis-ease disease. And healing, in its simplest terms, is the recovery of the body to balance. And so everything in the physical world as we know it is built on the principle of balance. Well, the Bible says that God wants us to live balanced lives. And take a look at this passage in Psalm 127.2. It's, it's okay in the New International Version, but it will really turn you on in the Living Bible. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you will starve to death, for God wants His loved ones to get their proper rest. Wow. Here's the bottom line. If your life is out of balance then you are out of God's will because His will for you is to live a balanced life. So we're going to take a look at seven principles of balance and we're going to use the word balance as an acronym where each letter will represent one of our points. And so the first one is B, build your life around Christ. That's the first principle of balance. This is like the foundation of the house. If the foundation isn't right, I don't care what quality of work is done above ground, it's not going to be that great because the foundation is off. So here is the foundation. Build your life around Christ. Now the only totally balanced person who ever lived was Jesus. Therefore, if I put Him at the center of my life, it stands to reason that I have a much greater chance of being balanced. Now, we have a picture. <clears throat> I would like for you to think of your life as a wheel. Okay, This is representing your life. At the center of your life is the hub. That would represent your, your core values. And the spokes that go out from the hub 
represent the different areas or aspects of your life. Your financial life, your, your family life, your, your work life, all of these different aspects of your life. Well, if you have a solid center, then you're going to have a solid life. If you have a weak and flimsy center, then you're going to start cracking at the edges. Whatever is at the center of your life, whatever is the hub, is going to influence and control you. Now the hub is connected to the axle, and the axle turns whatever it is attached to like a car. And power always goes from the hub outward. It doesn't come inward. And so if you have anything at the center of your life other than God, you are going to experience a power shortage in all of those spokes that are attached to it. Now here's Matthew 6.33. God will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. What does it mean to put God first in my life? But I don't want you to think of it in terms of a position such as one, two, three, four. I want you to think of it in terms of what is at the center of the hub. If Jesus is at the center, if He is the hub, then He's going to give stability to all of your spokes, to your education, your career, your family, all of those things that are attached to it. Jesus summarized life's priorities in two sentences. Did you know that in Matthew we have the cliff notes of the Bible? In Matthew 22, in just a couple of sentences, the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is summarized. Take a look at this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and other people. If you don't get anything else done in life but those two things, you have done the two most important things according to the Bible. And so the first principle of balance is we have to choose to build our lives around Jesus and make Him the center, the hub of, of the wheel. And then, A, the second principle of balance is that we're going to have to learn to accept our humanity. Stop pretending that you are God and that you have all of the answers, can solve everybody's problems, and can fulfill everyone's expectations. We are all human and as a result, have limitations. When you start playing God, you always end up becoming a workaholic 
and getting your life out of balance. And the Lord has sent me to tell you today that you are all human and because of it, you are limited in what you can do. You cannot answer uh, all of the questions that exist in the world. You cannot solve everybody's problems, nor can you fulfill everyone's expectations of what they want out of you. Ecclesiastes 10.15 This is Solomon. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Interesting principle. One of the main causes of workaholism I've been thinking about for two weeks how I was going to say this next sentence. And I still haven't decided up at this. I'm not sure how it's going to come out. But I don't want it to come across as if we don't care about what other people think because we do. But one of the main causes of people overworking is that we are overly concerned and we worry too much about other people's opinions. And we let their expectations manipulate us. Well, not even God can please everyone. Oh, some people want it sunny and some people want it rainy. Some people want it 95 degrees, some want it 20 degrees so they can go down the mountain on their snow skis. Not even God can please everyone, so you and I are foolish to attempt to do it ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4.7 We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Oh, wow. He compares our bodies to jars of clay. Fragile. Easy to break. Do you sometimes go to, what's that thing down, the store down on, on Highway 90 by Azalea? Is that the pottery barn? Old time pottery. So have you ever like, like gone through old time pottery and, and, and there's like a, there's a clay pot or something up there and you take it off the shelf and you're real careful as you hold it because why? Well, you know it's fragile and it's easy to break. And if you drop the thing, then you'd be out a buck ninety nine down there. And it's the same way with our life. Because we are human, we are so very limited. And have you noticed how we break so easily? And how fragile we are? Well, there's this passage that has just convicted me. I'm talking about like a month ago. And I've read it in the past, but I was going through the book of Psalms in the Living Bible, and this verse definitely came alive. This is Psalm 119.73. You made my body, Lord. (laughs) Now give me the sense to heed your laws. Isn't that good? Yeah, you made me. Now give me enough sense to follow your rules and regulations. So the second principle of balance is we're going to have to learn to accept our humanity. You are not Superman or Wonder Woman. All right, L. We're going to have to limit our labor. These could be getting tougher, I'm not sure, but 
limit your labor if we're going to find balance. It's what the Bible says. Make a conscious decision to make time for things besides work. If you don't set some kind of schedule, you will never, ever take a break. Now, you may be thinking, ah, yeah, this is America, and we honor the workaholic, and in many ways we do. But this principle is so important, God put it in the Big Ten. And I'm not talking about a football conference. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Yeah, do not lie, do not steal, do not murder, do not covet, no other gods before me, no adultery, and rest. Almost seems out of a place for Americans. This is Exodus 20. It says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. Why? Because God wired us. I'm talking about our internal wiring. He has wired us for a rhythm of work and rest. You've probably heard about the so-called circadian rhythm that that we have. Well, I was reading this article, and the guy said this. I think he's absolutely right. Our best requires rest. And that principle is called the Sabbath. And Sabbath is just a big word that means rest. Now, here's what Jesus had to say about it. He said, The Sabbath was made to benefit people and not people to benefit the Sabbath. Now, the book of Colossians says God doesn't care what day you take your Sabbath on. But you need a day of rest one day out of a cycle of seven. Now, what do you do on your personal Sabbath day, on your day of rest? Do you catch up? on the work that you did not get done, the other six. Eh, not the answer we're looking for. Three things. Number one, you rest your body. Of course, we're physical body. It has to have a certain amount of rest. Second thing is you need to recharge your emotions. Now, what I mean by this is something like recreation or some hobby Something that you enjoy doing that relaxes you and recharges your emotions. I'm not talking about something competitive where you try to beat the other guy's brains out. You recharge your emotions. And then the third thing is you refocus your spirit. That's why you're here. One reason why you're here is it's a part of our program of work and rest and recharge and refocus. We're here today to refocus our spirit, to recharge our spirit. And the word we would use for that would be worship. And so L is the principle of learning to limit our labor. And then A is adjust my values. Adjust my values. What happens is my values get out of balance and then I start majoring on the minors. Have you ever, have any of you ever done that? You know, you, you don't spend the time that you need to spend 
resting your body, recharging your emotions, refocusing your spirit, and everything gets out of balance. Now all of a sudden, you're, you're majoring on the minors. Here's Solomon again. <clears throat> this is the good news translation. I have also learned why people work so hard to succeed. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, it is because they envy the things their neighbor have. Ah, okay. Yeah. You have two options. Number one, you can try to keep up with the Joneses. Number two, you can forget about the Joneses and reduce your stress levels. And so, I'm here to tell you, you need to forget about the Joneses. Now I know it must be, it's nice, you look across the street and you see the dogwood trees flowering and you see the marigolds and you're thinking life would be beautiful at the Joneses' house. Let me tell you, the Joneses are dealing with issues too. This is Mark 8.36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And I did a little paraphrase of that. What good would it be for a man or a woman to become the president of their company and forfeit their kids and spouse? See, what happens is we become possessed by our possessions. Why? Well, it's because we live in a culture where self-worth is measured by net worth. And even though you and I don't want to admit it, we sometimes determine our value by our valuables. And so we look across the street and we see the Joneses have the new car. Woo! They are valuable and in debt too. Now here's what Solomon's had to say about that. Here's a principle. This is good. It is better to have only a little with peace of mind then be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. Here's what I get out of this passage. The greatest things in life are not things. He says that it's better to have a few things and, and have sanity in life and have balance than to have a warehouse full of possessions but no time to enjoy them. So A, is adjust my values. And we need to nourish our inner soul. <clears throat> nourish your inner soul. Our inner life. You and I have to learn to nourish our soul. So let me ask you this question. What are you doing on a weekly basis to feed your soul. Ladies, going shopping does not qualify as nourishing your soul. Men, surfing the internet does not qualify for nourishing the soul. Now here's what David said. So what I'm going to do is not neglect God's Word. I delight in your decrees I will not neglect your work. You see, what happens is our 
Our inner fire goes out when, when it's not fed. The pilot light goes out. At the top of your outline, there's a book by Charles Swindoll that is called Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. I've already done an entire series based on the book. It's a great book. In the book, he tells the story about his family and they were they were staying in this beautiful home in the mountains. And it had this gigantic stone fireplace surrounded by this custom-made wood mantle. And from a distance, he could see that someone had carved something in the mantle. And so he walked up to it, and he looked at it, and it said, If your heart is cold, my fire won't be able to warm you. A promotion cannot warm a cold heart. A trip to the Bahamas, one of those all-inclusive places that you've dreamed of, cannot warm a cold heart. The only thing that can is contact with the living God. Even Jesus Himself had to nourish His soul. Luke 5.16 He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So we need to nourish our inner life. And then see, is commit your daily schedule to God. Each day, consciously, you need to commit your schedule to God. I came across this passage in Psalm 31.15. It says, My times are in your hands. When I live by the principle of that verse, my stress level goes down. If you want the stress level in your life to go down, then you have to learn to be bendable and flexible. Now here's the problem. The problem is I have my idea of what I want to accomplish today. I have my list. I have my little Outlook printout. Here's what Bruce needs to do today. One, two, three, four. And then if something happens that's not on my list, I get upset. We have to learn to be bendable and flexible to allow for God's intervention in our lives. And a great example of that is the story that Ken told during communion. In Matthew 9, the ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus and he said, My daughter is dead. Could you come to my house and raise her from the dead? I know you can. And Jesus said, yes, yes, I'll I'll do that. And so Jesus focused on going to this guy's house. And they're, they're heading to the house. Here they go, to this guy's house. And while he's focused on going there, a woman interrupts him who has had this hemorrhage for 12 years and there's this whole scene that takes place. And Jesus deals with it, and then He moves on to the guy's house. Here's the principle. When something happens that I don't think I have time for, 
I have to believe that God is going to give me the time to do the things that I need to do and that He wants me to do. So, if you'll commit your schedule to the Lord, say, here, here's what I've come up with for today. I know you may have some uh, di- little different version. I'm going to be bendable and, and flexible. Then E is enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. It's possible to get so busy and so focused on a goal that you don't have time for right now. How about Solomon again? Well, you're going to get him whether you want him or not. All of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for. It's God's gift. It's wonderful that you're doing things with your family. It's wonderful that you go out in your in your boat. Great! We need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of when and then thinking. There's a trap called when and then. When I get out of high school, then I'll be happy. Oh, when I graduate from college, then I'll be happy. When I graduate from graduate school, then I'll be happy. When I get a job, then I'll really be happy. Oh, when I find Mr. Right or Miss Right, then I'll be happy. When we have children, then I'll be happy. When, when the children go off to school, then. Some of you are saying amen right now because your kids just left. Raise your hand if it's great, they're gone. All right, good. You get the idea of the when and then thinking. The point is this. The moment you get there, you're going to enjoy it for about three seconds. And then you're going to start asking yourself, start thinking, okay, what's my next goal? Where do I go from here? Here's the key thought. You need to learn to be happy in the now while you're working on your goals. Understand you have these goals. I think I underlined, yeah. I even capitalize it. How often do I capitalize words? Not very often. Now, you have to learn to be happy in the now while you enjoy working on your goals. Now, Proverbs 14 says this, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. (laughs) They're probably going to find scientific evidence for this eventually. Maybe they have, have already. I don't know. There's three basic types of fatigue. Physical, Fatigue, which is, is, of course, handled by rest. Your muscles get tired. There's emotional fatigue, which is where your emotions get tired. And there is spiritual fatigue, where you feel like your heart has dried up and you are no longer close to God. Well, physical fatigue can be cured by rest. Emotional and spiritual fatigue, however, is not as easily cured. It can only be cured by getting Jesus at the center, at the hub of your life. There's two main reasons why you get under stress. Number one, you're trying to do too much. And number two, you're trying to do it on your own power. And both will wear you out and get you out of balance. And that's why you need to get plugged in to God's program. 
Now here's the good news. The Lord offers us an exchange program. It's an exchange program. where You give Him something, and He gives you something in return. And it's in Matthew 11.28. Come to Me, all you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. That's simple enough. You give Him your load, and He will give you rest in return. And we're not talking about physical rest. We get physical rest every night. He's talking about balance. He's saying, I will give you balance in your life. Now, He may give you a few more things to do when you turn your life over to Him, but He will always relieve more than He will add on. And the Bible says He will never put on you more than you will be able to handle. I think He takes it to the edge quite a few times. What about you? Two benefits of living a balanced life. Number one is contentment. You will have more confidence, more energy, and you won't wear out as quickly because your life is in balance. It's kind of like your car. You take it in and you have the tires rotated and balanced. What? Why is balance on tires so important? When they're balanced, the stress load is distributed over the entire tire. When it's not balanced, what happens is it wears in one spot, forms a bulge, and then blows Usually, when you're headed to something important or you're running late, that's referred to as Murphy's Law. That'll be a separate sermon. And second thing is you will enjoy life more. You're going to be more mentally alert, spiritually deep, emotionally stable. You will feel better physically, and you will enjoy your friendships and your relationships more. Would you ask the Lord to be at the center of your life? Now, it's very possible that your life is falling apart right now. I mean, it's you feel like Humpty Dumpty. You've fallen off the wall. You've cracked into a thousand pieces and you wonder, is there anybody who's going to be able to put me back together again? You need to turn your life over to the Lord and say, Lord, will you take these pieces and help me put them back together again? The message of the Bible is that God loves you, He wants to help you, and He is waiting on you. And when you and I look at everything from eternity, this right here, this this book, take my... This is the only hope that we have. This is the only hope that America has, ultimately. This is the only hope that everybody in the world has. And so the most important things in life are not really things. It's your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are uncertain about that relationship, Get with me. We'll, we'll talk about it. We can talk about it after service. If you've 
thought about it and prayed about it, meditated on it. Maybe you need our prayers. We'd love to pray on your behalf. Maybe you have a need. Maybe you'd like to put Jesus on in baptism, be, be baptized. We'd love to assist you in that. If you have a particular need, please let us know what that need is while we stand and sing.